Women Taking the Lead, Episode 28. I mean, I think people chase dreams and, and it's wonderful to dream and aspire to to do bigger, better things and dream big. I often talk about dreaming big, but at some point you have to put it all in perspective and just prepare yourself for the opportunity. Hello, my name is Jody Flynn and welcome to Women Taking the Lead, where we are all about creating blasts of inspiration to help you overcome self-doubt so you can lead with confidence, integrity, and a sense of humor. This episode is sponsored by Luma Coaching. Want some support to get your dreams off the ground? Go to womentakingthelead.com forward slash coaching to sign up for a consultation with me. Now, your future awaits, so let's get started. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I'm here with Dr. Angela Walker Franklin, who became Des Moines University's 15th president in the spring of 2011. She is a native of McCormick, South Carolina, and a 1981 Phi Beta Kappa and Magna Cum Laude graduate of Furman University, a small liberal arts college in Greenville, South Carolina. She is a licensed clinical psychologist. She completed her PhD in clinical psychology at Emory University, followed by a year-long clinical internship at Grady Memorial Hospital. Dr. Franklin has worked in higher education for more than 20 years. Prior to her arrival at DMU, she held faculty and administrative positions at both Morehouse School of Medicine in Atlanta, Georgia, and Meharry Medical College in Nashville, Tennessee. Dr. Franklin, that is just a little intro for everyone. I know you have more to say. So tell us more about you and your own humble beginnings. Well, thank you so very much. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you today. Um, of course, you know, I'm a small town girl. You know, I came from McCormick, South Carolina. And to put that in perspective for those who know little towns, um, my hometown to to this day still is probably no more than 5,000 people. Um, so we're talking a small community in South Carolina. Uh, my parents still live there, but growing up in that little town sort of helps define who I am and, and the story that I will share today. Um, someone coming from uh, a small rural community, um, sort of dreaming a big dream to, to be something different, uh, to be something more than anyone expected. So that's a part of my story and my journey. I love that. And you've clearly had success in your life. I mean, I'm looking all at all the schools and the locations you are in and the position you hold now. You've definitely gained confidence over the years. But take us back to a time when you were playing small and you, you may not have been aware of it at the time. Share with us the stories and the lessons you've learned. Okay. Well, um, I'll start with, you know, two aspects in terms of pivot points for me and my my upbringing. I think uh, the first um, point that I realized in terms of playing small, I guess, is a a good way to describe this. Um, In the South, um, in the 60s, when I was a little girl growing up there, um, schools had not uh, integrated. And my parents were big proponents of education. um, And Whereas our schools in that little town had not integrated, uh, my parents chose to send my sister and I over to the the white elementary school regardless. So I found myself 
myself as a fourth grader, being the only person of color in that class and feeling very much intimidated initially by that, but then gaining a considerable amount of strength and confidence throughout that time there. And I talk about that in the context of writing my story because the irony is now I've often been the first, you know, the first um, person to integrate that that school, um, one of very few individuals of color in my elementary school. I'm going on to Furman University and being one of very few students of color there. I've often found myself being one of very few and somehow often feeling because of the scripts that go along with that, some, some of the negative self-thought that you might not be received and appreciated as any some of the other students. So I was always working against that and trying to prove that I belonged and trying to prove that I was just as good as. So those are some of the early teachings and, 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 and experiences that I believe have sort of defined my approach as I've moved forward in my career. I was always thinking to, to be better than anyone expected and feeling a considerable amount of satisfaction and being able to to surprise people with that. So those are some of my early experiences. Um, now that then goes on to finding myself being a college professor at Morehouse School of Medicine after graduating from, from Emory. And again, having this sense of, well, where do I go in higher ed? Will I be perceived to be good enough to be a senior administrator in higher ed? And some of those same thoughts came back to mind, even as an adult, so much so that by then I have children and my sons are all talking about what they want to be when they grow up. And I said, well, you know, mommy doesn't know what she wants to be either when she grows up. And and the the, the challenge of being able to be honest with yourself, to say, I'm not sure I'm where I want to be, but this is what I aspire to be and feeling comfortable in the not knowing and being able to take that and move to the next level. Wow, that is amazing. I had no idea. And I just, I love how you were expressing how you've gotten comfortable with being one of the first and a pioneer and being different from everyone else around you. And you've gained strength from you know, being, knowing you can prove yourself, like you're more than capable. And it's a challenge when you get into those situations. But what I'm, I also heard you saying, and correct me if I'm wrong is, but it's also important to get to a point where, you know, in your heart of hearts, you don't need to prove yourself. You are good enough. Right. And, and that's becoming comfortable with yourself, you know, and, and along the journey, you, you get to a place where you're no longer looking for the external validation of that. You know, you, you have enough from within. And I think everyone goes through that in life that they question whether or not they're good enough or they've made the right choice or they're in the right profession or, you know, that they are moving in the right direction. All of that is, is normal. And, and, and everyone goes through some variation of that from whether you're in high school trying to figure out what college you want to attend, whether you're in college and trying to figure out what career or being in a career and realizing, well, maybe I didn't pick the right profession and maybe now I need to think of doing something different. Um, all of those feelings of I'm not sure yet if I'm where I need to be, but eventually you get to a place of comfort. And and what for me was getting to a point that I realized what maybe 
I've been doubting myself way too much. You know, these feelings of doubt, you know, have sort of interfered to some extent with my being able to get past this point. Um, And I just let go of that, you know, and some of it was a somewhat of a spiritual journey for me. And I had to sort of step out on faith um, and in in a great extent to say, well, maybe I'm okay. And maybe it's okay for me to not know. And maybe I'm trying to, I'm trying too hard to figure it out. Maybe I should just let go. And and allow things to happen. So I got to a point where I stopped worrying so much about how do I get there. Um, and once I did that, the interesting um, change for me was then the opportunities seemed to come to me. And it was more of sort of divine intervention, perhaps, but it was more of a sense of comfort in knowing that there's a purpose out there for me. I may not know what it is right now or how I'm going to get there, but I have to have faith and confidence in my own ability that when that opportunity presents itself, I will be ready. Mm, I love that. So when you were in a mode of chasing after stuff, the chase was there. And when you were done chasing, it came to you. Yes. Exactly. And you can see so many parallels in that in a lot of aspects of your life. I mean, I think people chase dreams and and it's wonderful to dream and aspire to to do bigger, better things and dream big. I often talk about dreaming big, but at some point you have to put it all in perspective and just prepare yourself for the opportunity and, and not get so frustrated by the fact that it's not happened yet. Because everyone has their place and everyone has a purpose. And I, I spent more time going within, thinking more about myself and, and how can I get there? How can I become comfortable in my own skin? You know, feeling good about who I am and where I'm trying to, to go and, and just trying to be a good person. Um, and then the rest came after that. It reminds me of a book I've read recently by, um, it's not, it wasn't written recently. I think it was written in the 1930s by Wallace D. Waddles and it's called The Science of Getting Rich. And it sounds like a getting rich book, but it's really not. It's actually a very spiritual book where he talks about wherever you are now, do your best. Right. You know, know where you want to go, but wherever you are now, do your best because by doing your best right now, you are moving yourself towards what you want, allow it to happen, and don't worry about not being where you want to be. Another phrase that's very consistent with that, um, I'm sure a lot of people have heard the phrase, grow where you're planted. Um, And I love thinking about it in that context, grow where you're planted, then bloom. So, you know, you may not be where you want to be, but, but make the best of that experience wherever you are, because once you bloom where you are, someone notices you know, and someone will notice that, well, gosh, there's one beautiful flower there to pluck, you know, and it's hard sometimes when you're going through life to feel com- comfortable with that and, and the the waiting sometimes and just being patient with yourself and with your, your life circumstances, but you never get any further by forcing, you know, yourself into a situation, you know, it's better just to kind of let it, let things wait and and be, be comfortable and patient with where you are. Mm, I love that. Now, Angela, share with us a time in your journey when you had a wake up call, take us back to that moment and share with us the steps you took that led to your success. Okay, wow, the wake-up call. Um, I think the wake-up call for me, just in terms of my professional journey, was when I 
I had gotten to a place where a college presidency was what I was aspiring to to do. And and it became a calling for me. And I just knew this is what was intended for me. This was going to be my purpose. I loved academe. I loved being in higher ed. I loved teaching. And I knew this was a part of my journey. Didn't know quite how it would get there, but I started being nominated for college presidencies around the country. And coming from the South, you know, I was hoping to stay in the South because my family's there, my roots are there. And just the reality of opportunities and whether or not I would be accepted and respected in a role in the South sort of came you know, to me, and that was uh, the rude awakening for me. I think it was the reality of being in a search for a college presidency in some parts of the country and in some areas and realizing they were not necessarily ready for a person of color, you know, and that was sort of a rude awakening. And I thought, wow, you know, there's subtleties of racism, you know, out there, no matter whether people want to believe it to be the case. But that's the reality that we still live with today. Um, hopefully, you know, we're not in a post-racial society yet. Um, perhaps we will get there one day. But that was sort of the wake-up call for me that I might aspire to be a college president, but I now need to find the best place where I fit. You know, mm-hmm. and I have to be in a place where I'm going to be appreciated and respected in the role. And whereas I might have loved to have stayed in the South, the opportunities might not have been obvious or as great for me in the South. So I decided to start looking outside of that. Um, The fact that I'm in Iowa, you know, was a surprise for me because I never had been here before, never even visited the state. Uh, But again, it was one of those situations where I had prepared myself for a college presidency as best that I could in terms of, you know, all of the experiences, the job experiences, the the opportunities for training, some professional development. I went to a lot of programs that prepare leaders in higher ed. I made myself available for all of those opportunities. I had wonderful mentors and I would, I call myself a sponge. I I would spend a lot of time trying to learn and, and soak it all in and understand what it means to be a leader of an academic institution. And then I waited to see what the opportunities would be. But it was a phone call um, to, to come take a look at this position, which sort of came from out of nowhere. So again, not expected, but coming to a place that really wanted me for me, uh, Mm -hmm. that wanted me because of the preparation that I'd done. You know, I hear the members of my board of trustees that hired me talk about how once they saw my resume, they were looking for the kind of person that had the background and experiences that I had. The fact that I happened to be a woman and a person of color was icing on the cake as far as they, they tell the story. It's like, well, we were looking for someone with the skill set and the fact that you're a woman and a person of color just, just made it even nicer. You know, so to come into a place where you are received that way is an affirmation that, gosh, I never expected it to be this way, but wow, what a wonderful opportunity. And it's a great place, a great fit, wonderful university, wonderful people, um, and a very noble mission in terms of the organization that I now serve. What a change from the first experience you were having when you first set out to become the president of a university. And, you know, that seems to be a trend with um, 
the the last few guests I've had where they were describing situations that were, you know, to, to put it mildly, less than ideal and, and somewhat disappointing. It must have been disappointing, you know, after all these years to find that racism is, is still alive and still impacting your life, however subtly um, or not so subtly. But what I found is the, the women who've been um, coming on and I've been interviewing their focus is not on the situation and feeling awful about it. It's like, okay, then I'm going to refocus. Exactly. Th- this situation is not ideal for me. I'm going to find the situation that's ideal for me. And you landed in a place that not only was accepting of who you are, the entire package of who you are, but they love and appreciate it. Right. Yeah. So mutual respect was a, is a big part of what is so important for me. Um, and I never would have imagined being in this place. That's why my book is entitled An Unconventional Journey and an Unlikely Choice, because I really thought I was the unlikely choice. So those little demons from the past did come back, those feelings of self-doubt, because once I entered the search, even though they were calling me to say, come take a look, we really want you to look at this opportunity. There's a college presidency. Um, it's in Des Moines, Iowa. I thought, gosh, this is sounds wonderful, but of course they wouldn't hire me. So those feelings of self-doubt doubt came back. I, I could imagine all the reasons why they would not hire me. Now, mm. it's wonderful for me now to have been here for four years now and hear the other side of the story from those who are hiring to say, no, they were thinking you were the right person, but I didn't know that at the time. So okay. it's, it was an affirmation for me to realize, well, gosh, you just did it again, you know, as well as you've been preparing yourself for a college presidency, you've done all of these things, and now you have a group of individuals on a search committee and a university that would welcome you, all of you, who you are. And here I am still saying, oh, they probably want a male. Oh, they probably want you know a white male. Oh, they would probably want someone not me. And the reality was they were looking for someone like me. So I had to once again deal with those feelings of self-doubt, put them aside to be able to move forward. And it didn't take me as long because I think as you go through life, you realize quickly, okay, now I'm going there again, but I need to pull back. Um, And that negative self-talk had to be dealt with. Um, And you know, but it only human being only human, you know, everyone goes through those feelings of perhaps this is not the right experience, but it end, ended up being the right experience for me, a great organization and a great fit. And that really underscores the importance that sometimes even if we've made up our mind that other people are going to judge us and find us wanting, sometimes we just have to put it aside and think, well, let me just see. Yes. Let me try it. Let, you know, don't be quick on the draw to say it can't happen. It's it's not worth my time. Right. Right. And a lot of my friends, you know, were shocked that I would choose to come so far away from family and in a part of the country I'd never been. And I actually started in my job here alone. And my family didn't even move up with me. So, I mean, talking about stepping out on faith, you know, because I'm in in a new place, a new environment, you know, people that I have noticed experience with, but I had a considerable amount of comfort you know, just internally, that once I said yes, and I would come, 
I felt that I was here for all the right reasons. This was the calling. This was fulfilling a purpose. And it was all meant to be. So I started my job here four years ago with that backdrop that, you know, this 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 is so unusual for me to be in this place. You know, it must be for real. It must be because this is a part of my calling and a part of my purpose. And that helped me actually get through some some of the, the leadership cha- challenges that come along with any new leader. Because once you arrive in a new organization, you know, you're going to be faced with some tough decisions, uh, whether it's personnel or, you know, issues around growing the enterprise, whether it was programming or, you know, budget cuts, whatever the challenges would be for every new leader. You know, I had to make some of those tough calls in my first few years here. And I did it with with all the right, you know, vetting and processing and debate and working with the board leadership to say, this is what I see. And they trusted me in those decisions, which I really appreciated. And we did it, you know, together. I never felt I was alone. Um, but it was tough, you know, to sometimes make change because change is, is difficult in and of itself. But when you do it from a place of comfort that you're, you're doing it for the right reasons and you're here for the right purpose, yeah, it allows you to get past it. So I'm just happy to be beyond that point now mm-hmm. that we're in a totally different place as an institution, that we, I have a wonderful team of, um, of individuals, wonderful faculty, wonderful students, and we're all moving forward together in this institution. And we are Health Sciences University, which is all that I've ever done. My entire career, I've only been in Health Sciences Universities, that it's all about fulfilling the mission and the purpose of this organization now. And for that, I have a considerable amount of pride. Um, and I'm honored you know, to be here to serve this, this great university. That's incredible. So what I would want to underscore for, you know, the person who's listening (laughs) to this is tie what you're doing right now to a purpose, to a higher purpose, whatever that is for you, because that will help you get through the hard times Um, because there are going to be challenges no matter what situation you're involved in right now. But if you can connect it to a higher purpose, that will see you through. And Angela, what I want everyone to get is there's no one way to lead. We're all different. We're all going to lead differently. So how would you describe your leadership style? I think the the philosophy of leadership that comes closest to what I do is servant leadership. Um, The phrase servant leadership was coined several years ago in a book entitled Servant Leadership that focuses on being of service um, to serve and not be served. And and I think it, it it fits in nicely with my style and personality because I've always been a very engaged, collaborative leader, um, regardless of the role that I've been in. And even now as president, I'm probably more active and engaged as a president in terms of day-to-day operations than other presidents um, have been. Um, in some universities, the presidents are more external and they do all the fundraising and they're out and they're the, the public face of the university and there's normally someone else who's more operations, day-to-day operations. I've always been in relatively small institutions and and my job before coming here, um, I was more the chief operating officer and an executive vice president. So I've always by nature been more hands-on 
you know, roll your sleeves up type person. Um, no matter what the roles I've been in or the titles I've had, I've always been more active and engaged. And that gets me closer to the people closer to working more collaboratively with everyone. So I see my approach to be more of a leader of a team, which is why I changed the name of the president's cabinet, which a lot of presidents would have, which are normally the direct reports, to the executive leadership team. So I now have an executive leadership team as opposed to a cabinet because I really genuinely believe it's all about a team effort. You know, I'm I'm the leader of the team, um, but we all have a role to play. And working collaboratively and being of service to this institution is not about me. It's about this organization. Mm-hmm. So I think that probably comes closest. Um, and I firmly believe, and the and I think my parents for for teaching me about the golden rule um, and. And I, I I have that as the backdrop for everything that I do, treating people, treating others the way I would want to be treated. So I think first of the of the earth of person as opposed to thinking of me. Um, and, and those are some of the lessons learned in leadership that I share in my book um, in terms of having the right attitude about leadership. Because a lot of times people aspire to leadership because they believe you sort of get to a, a high place and you sort of sit on the throne and you, know, you then have others serve you and it's all about you. I completely go against that whole approach and philosophy. You, you have to be in it for the right reason. And it's not about self. It's not about me. Yeah, it's about what I can do to serve this organization, to allow it to advance and move this organization forward, to be able to fulfill the mission of this university, which is creating opportunities for future generations of healthcare providers who will be of care and of service to those who need it most in a very compassionate and competent manner. And Angela, what is one thing that you're working on right now that you're really excited about? Well, um, I have started writing blogs um, and sort of sharing sort of a theory and approach to leadership. You know, it sort of started with me putting some ideas down in my book, but I began sharing more and more perspectives on um, a philosophy of leadership and an approach to developing um you know, sort of the inner style of leadership. You know, it's one thing to go to classes and professional development, but I mean, there's another layer um, and it's really more impactful and it's issues around moral character and integrity, um, you know, um, treating people with compassion and kindness and sort of leadership with a personal touch. You might have heard people refer to that. So I'm trying to define that myself. So I'm spending quite a bit of time writing and blogging around issues that relate to personal development and aspirations for leadership. So there's that on the personal side. As far as my university, I proudly say we are all about focusing our our approach to teaching and training the next generation of healthcare providers with excellence and quality of the educational experience and teaching and learning. So on campus, I'm really excited about the opportunity that we're creating for students and future healthcare providers to learn in a way that's all about excellence in teaching and learning and all that we do to to prepare them to be providers that focus on prevention and wellness. Um, that's sort of the, the basis and the focus of who we are as, as an academic institution. So those are the two things, more personal and then professionally in terms of my lead in this organization. 
That's really exciting um, when I hear, you know, you talking about prevention and wellness, because I think that's the focus, like that's where we're going, but that's exactly. not always where the focus is right now. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we need to, as a country, we need to shift away from this illness model to a wellness model. And, you know, that's what we are all about here as an as an academic health center in a, in a health sciences university. You know, we 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 do a lot of, of that in the in the whole approach to how we train our students, you know, from from an elective and, and healthy cooking, you know, is the most popular elective our students can take here. We have a, a wellness kitchen, you know, which is a little bit unusual. We have a wellness center on campus. Um, we have opportunities for our students, you know, to, to learn about living healthy lifestyles. We really promote that. We even have a wellness pays program for our employees so that if you do all these things right throughout the year, you actually get a check at the end of the year for living a healthy lifestyle because we want to have a, a healthy, well workforce as well, not just the our students who will be graduating going on to be of service, but we want to have a healthy work environment as well. So so we really believe that. And as a bit relatively small institution, you know, I think we are out in front on that in a number of respects, having one twice now a platinum well workplace award from the Wellness Council of America, which is unusual for an academic institution to aspire for that and to receive it twice. Um, so we're a Platinum Well work, um, Workplace um, recipient, which we're really proud of. Oh, congratulations. Okay, now I'm going to do uh, a quick leadership roundup, a few quick questions for you. Okay. What is one practice that makes you a better leader? You know, I think being a good listener would be the one thing that I would put high on the list. Um, being trained as a psychologist, you're actually trained in how to be a good listener and in, in terms of the therapeutic relationship. But I think every good leader needs to be a good listener. Um, so I would put that first. And what is one book that you would recommend to a woman to help her develop in her leadership? I love Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In, mm -hmm. um, and um, I, I think I, that was a book that that I read and then decided, I'm going to go ahead and, and put this down and write it and see if somebody would publish this story, this journey. Um, and I, I think she she captures the essence of what I think a lot of women struggle with, and that is sometimes being a little unsure, a little uncomfortable, uncom being not, you know, confident enough to step in and lean in, you know, sort of sitting a little bit on the sidelines waiting to be asked, um, but to step out, sometimes stepping out on, on outside of our comfort zone to to engage. And so that's the one book that I, I would offer as, as one to recommend. And of course... My story would be also another one to yeah, to, to read it. as well. The unconventional journey and an unlikely choice. Love it. Okay. And what is your favorite healthy food? Well, that one I I love spinach. So if I only picked one, I would start with spinach. But a perfect dinner for me is salmon on spinach. Um, spinach, yum! I love both. Okay. <laughs> spinach Roll salmon on a bed of spinach—that's a favorite meal. And spinach has been a popular choice thus far, which is really funny because I remember growing up watching Popeye and thinking, "That's crazy! <laughs> I would never eat spinach." <laughs> well, you know, the canned version is not quite as good as the fresh. So that is awesome. <laughs> All right. And Angela, knowing what you know now, 
if given a chance to go back and do anything differently, what would you change? You know, I think I would have stepped out on faith sooner. I struggled, you know, if I look back maybe 10 years when I was, you know, telling my kids, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up, I was afraid to step out and say, I'm okay with where I am and and there's a purpose and a place for me. I spent too much time, I think, ruminating over what I need to do and how can I get there, as opposed to taking a step back and just preparing myself and being comfortable with where I was at the time. You know, I wasted a lot of time, I think, you know, agonizing over what the next step would be, as opposed to stepping out on faith. So that would be the thing that I would do. I probably would have, maybe I would have gotten here sooner, but then the way I look at life, you know, it was meant to be that this was the timing, this was the place, and it all worked out. Mm-hmm. And now share with us a success quote or a mantra and why it has meaning for you. Um, I would say avoid negative self-talk. Um, it's it's something that we all do. Um, it's so easy sometimes to, yeah, you, you can catch yourself, you know, whether it's looking in the mirror and saying, oh, gosh, I don't like the way I look today. Oh, this dress is not fitting me right. We do a lot of negative self-talk. Um, and it doesn't mean you stop because it's just sort of innate. You know, people tend to do that, you know, and I think it's better to have that little voice that talks to you, that conscious that says, oh, you shouldn't have done that, or maybe you should have done this dif- differently. You want to have that conscious, that voice that speaks to you. Um, that's 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 good. It's when you allow it to control you, when it's, it's all about denying self and trying to to keep yourself back and hold yourself back. So I would say do the best job of recognizing when those negative thoughts become controlling or debilitating mm, because it, it can hold you back. Yeah. When it, when it makes you feel bad or less than. Right. Definitely is the negative self-talk. Awesome. And lastly, what is the best way for our listeners to connect with you? Well, I have a website, um, unconventionaljourney.com, that I, this is where I am really promoting um, the, the book, but even more so now beginning to put out blogs. And I normally do a blog weekly. Um, and, and it's kind of interesting that I don't know what I'm going to talk about until I get to that day. And I normally do this on a Sunday that I, my, my thought for the day, I sort of wake up with these ideas, the things that I want to share. Um, so you can find my blogs on that website, unconventionaljourney.com. And I'm also on Facebook um, at Angela L. Walker Franklin, um, where I also share a lot of things that are happening on my campus, a lot of the things that I'm involved in. Um, and um, so those are the two places. And, or you can follow me on Twitter at, at Arthur Angela PhD. Awesome. And you can find all the links and resources shared in this episode at womentakingthelead.com, or you can use the short link, which is womentl.com, and you'll find Angela in the podcast tab. And Dr. Franklin, thank you so much for taking the time to inspire and enlighten us. We are all better for having met you. Oh, thank you so very much. I appreciate being a part of your show. 
Thank you for joining me on Women Taking the Lead. Were you inspired to take some action today, but maybe don't know where to start? Or maybe you have so many great ideas you can't decide where to focus your attention. Don't let stress or overwhelm stop you from having the career, the business, or the life you want to live. Head over to womentakingthelead.com forward slash coaching or use the short link womentl.com forward slash coaching to sign up for a consultation with me. And to strengthen you on your leadership journey, I'd like to send you off with a quote from Marianne Williamson. So here goes. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Again, thank you for joining me, and here's to your success.